Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good evening. It is such an honour and a privilege to join you as we gather together tonight uh, to come around the Word of God. I thought we might just pray as we head on into the Word of God tonight and launch this new series, Our Imperfect Family. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you know how to deal with all our mess. None of it is a threat to you. None of it is unknown to you. So tonight, Lord, we just come to you with everything that we have, with our families, be they good, bad or ugly, and we just lay them at your feet and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. We are starting a three-week series tonight called Our Imperfect Family. It finishes on Mother's Day. And uh, I know you might be thinking, Mother's Day, what the heck? Is it nearly Mother's Day yet? I I agree. I I don't even know where this March, February, April has gone. Everything has just gone so fast. I only know what day it is because I do my hair on Sundays for you guys. And uh, and so the, the days have all blurred and the months have blurred, but it is nearly Mother's Day in three weeks' time, so kids get on that. And uh, we're talking about our imperfect family. You know, as we think about this, I wonder if the word imperfect carries a little bit of a oh for you. Uh, Pastor Mike, all week, as we've been talking about this series, has been referring it to as, um, Pastor, do you, are you talking about our dysfunctional family this week? And, uh, and mum called me at lunchtime and said, Bron, I'm going to tune in and listen to your miserable family tonight. And, uh, and so imperfect is not miserable or dysfunctional necessarily, though it may be, but it's simply imperfect. And I think you'll agree that every single one of us are imperfect. In fact, I think you've probably had this thought, well, this doesn't look like what I thought it would. This doesn't look like what I thought it would. Maybe you think, by now, I thought it would look like this. But whatever variation or wherever on the spectrum you think, you've probably had that thought, this doesn't look like what I thought it would. Maybe it's simply a few disappointments in the way you communicate with your family, or maybe it's all the way down the other end of the spectrum to a feeling of abandonment. But whatever it is, you've probably had the thought, this isn't how I thought it would look. Perhaps, you know, you're thinking, well, I grew up on Disney movies, and uh, and I I thought it would be a princess story, but with the noises he makes, the only princess movie this vaguely resembles is this guy who's about to come on screen. And, um, And I hope he's there but I don't think he is, so I'm going to have to name him, and his name is Shrek. And, uh, and maybe that re- that's how you think of the princess movie of your life. It's more like Shrek than it is like Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. Or maybe you thought, well, when we got married, she's just going to wander around in my, um, you know, my work shirts. She's going to wander around the house like that all the time, not the not tonighty that her grandma bought her and that she wears all the time that buttons right up to the neck and goes right down to the floor. Maybe your expectations have been dashed. And uh, I think that we're all victims of the expectations that we've carried along the way and into our household, into our family, whatever your household looks like, your expectations have uh, probably been disappointed. You know, for Daz, what I'm wearing tonight is actually, it's actually my Anzac Day dress because it has poppies on it, but regardless, this is what Darren thought he was marrying. Someone who would wear floral dresses all the time, Someone who he would come home to and they would be in their high heels. I'm done with them already. They're out. They're gone. And, and, uh, and he thought that probably the only thing missing, 
flowing hair, makeup done, and probably the only thing missing that um, he really thought that should be happening was this, that he would come home to a floral dress and to his hot coffee being handed to him. And, uh, and just that kind of notion, uh, flowing hair. He, he, he married someone, though, that was a farm girl and did love dresses, but only for Sundays. And in fact, rather than wear an apron, sorry, microphone people, um, rather than wear an apron, would much prefer to wear one of these. And, uh, and every other day of the week would like to wear one of these. In fact, Daz thought not only with the floral dress coming home and uh, the flowing hair and the makeup, which I didn't start wearing until I was 30, he thought that, that everything would smell like Pinaclean, like he was used to growing up. And in fact, you know, if we have date night and we go to the movies and, and I just, you know, I want to look nice, I'll shower, I'll do my hair, I'll put some makeup on, I'll wear, wear a dress even. But if it's a special date night, I'll just splash some of this on myself just to get super romantic because I know how much he loves it. Um, you know, really for me, my perfect outfit is what I'm wearing right now, just added only simply to by these tracksuit pants that you can't even see and I don't even care because I'm about to have the best preach that I've ever had because I'm preaching in tracksuit pants. And my hair, I would not have long and flowing as Daz wanted, but I'd just throw it up. I've missed a few bits. I don't even care. I don't even care anymore because this is how I like to operate. And I'm sure that that was not the picture that Daz had in his mind when he thought of his bride and this is what he got. But in fact, he wasn't the only one that carried expectations into the marriage. And whatever you think of Darren's expectations of someone who's wearing a dress all the time and hair and makeup and apron and hot coffee handed to you, whether you think that's perfectly reasonable and what are you doing, Bron, or totally unfathomable, my expectations were worse. You see, I thought that I could be his everything. I thought that I should be able to do everything that he wanted me to. And then, without any sacrifice to my own hopes and dreams, I thought I could do it all. And even more than that, I thought that he would be my everything. I thought that he would be able to uh, be that romantic, devoted husband doting on my every need. And I thought that he would be my everything. One time I dropped him home and uh, we, were we were going out and um, we were dating. He lived around the corner from me, so I dropped him home, my little Mazda 323, and he said something to upset me. I can't even remember what it was, but I know it must have been bad by my reaction because I drove off in a huff. And, and I thought, how could you? And I cried all the way around the corner to where I lived and I threw myself on the bed and continued to cry. But because of my background of romance novels and romantic comedies, I, 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 I cried on the bed, but I kept one ear out for the knock on the door. Well, there was no knock on the door, but he did call. He did call. And he said, Bron, I just want you to know, you drive off in a huff, I will never chase you. And so you want to come back and talk? We can talk. But you want to be all emotional? I can't deal with any of that. <laughs> and so I said, oh, okay. And that was the end of my expectations around <laughs> being doted upon. <laughs> That's not true. He's a wonderful husband. But I wonder how your expectations have affected you. And I wonder even if in this period of isolation, whether those expectations have even been a further hindrance to you because everything has been ramped up. The things that could usually distract you away from what was going on, they're not there anymore and every waking moment is filled with reality. Or I wonder if perhaps 
in the midst of isolation, you've had hardships happen and, and it feels like that Bunsen burner's turned up the heat under the beaker and you don't think that anything good is left to be refined out of your situation. I want to tell you tonight that I believe that there is that there is something good that can come out of the refiner's fire at the end of this series. I believe it. I believe it for you. I just want to give a few scenarios because we're passionate about this here at the Chapel Collective, that if you were in any way in any kind of domestic violence situation, I believe that you can find the courage and the strength and the resources, and I'm praying for that, for you to be able to leave that situation and be safe, and that you can stay out until there's evidence to change I believe that. I believe that that can happen, and I'm praying for that for you. I believe also that if your, your expectations have been dashed and you're completely disappointed, whether it's an extended period of singleness and, and you didn't expect that and you don't know how to wrestle through that, or whether it's worse in case of betrayal or even divorce, that actually God can meet you right where you're at and he can bring you to a place of wholeness and healedness in him. I believe that God can take every family to greater levels of intimacy and greater depths where they know that I'm not perfect and that's okay, but I can work on who I am. I have the power to work on it, to be able to be who God wants me to be in the midst of this situation. And I believe that for all of us, that we can bring our unique selves to the table and that we can know who we are in Christ and bring a healed and whole person that is better able to impact their world. So I hope you're up for that as a part of this series. And great expectations is where we start, to examine our great expectations. Maybe you'll be able to pick the era that you're from. Maybe Scarlett O'Hara informed your era and, and, and gone with the wind. You thought that you should be doted upon and fawned upon like Scarlett O'Hara was. I believe that my Darren was influenced by Darren from Bewitched and thought that that was the kind of 50s marriage he was going to end up with and uh, was not aware that I don't do magic. Um, maybe you grew up on a country practice and you thought the biggest difficulty that you'd have in your family life was a nosy neighbour like Esme Watson. Or maybe, maybe you grew up on Home and Away and Neighbours and you're just waiting for the day that your auntie comes home and tells you that she's actually your mother and your father's the Prime Minister. You're just waiting for the drama to unfold depending on the popular culture that's formed your great expectations. Or maybe, like me in the 2000s, you were having children and all you saw was ABC Kids, so you haven't got a clue. Popular culture formulates our great expectations. The other thing that forms our great expectations is our family of origin. Perhaps your family of origin was a family that you went, yes, that is exactly what I want. I want my life to look like that. Or maybe your great expectations are based on a reaction to your family of origin and where you've said, I will never repeat the mistakes that I felt like I grew up with. Popular culture, family of origin, but then there's also your unique wiring that form your great expectations. I don't know if you're aware of the five love languages, but it's the premise that there's five love languages that, through which you express and experience love. For some people, it's the receiving of gifts. That's how they feel loved. For others, it's, it's physical touch, and that doesn't just mean sex. It means like hugs and cuddles and being close on the lounge. You know who you are, Britt Norton. And, uh, and, and, and just needing to be right next to somebody all the time, physical touch. Maybe for you, it's the acts of service and where you need um, the house to be tidied. You'd like things to be done for you. Maybe it's quality time where you cry out and your love tank begins to deplete if it's in a busy season. Or finally, maybe it's the other one, the one that I always forget. Darn it. Haven't written it down either. So buy the book, Gary Chapman. It's very good. Did someone yell it out? 
Words of affirmation, I should know that one because my husband is so good at it. Words of affirmation, where you need to be told, where you need it called out of you, the good things that are in you, words of affirmation. And then, obviously, if you went down the temperament trail, you'd be able to find all the things that your highest needs, where, for example, a doer, where they need to be in control and have unrestricted boundaries and have recognition and a goal and a challenge, where for a thinker, you need um, verbal acceptance, where you need time alone, where you need to uh, be able to um, think through things and to be understood and have truth and security, where as a feeler, you need acceptance, uh, attention and affirmation and social interaction to, re- to replenish you, these highest needs that then form your great expectations. But the problem is we're not clones of each other. So we don't all have the same. And we come into our relationships, our family relationships, and we think, well, who's going to meet my needs with our great expectations? And there's nothing wrong with great expectations in and of themselves. They just are. It's when they become an image that we idolise that that becomes a problem, the image that we idolise. Australian Idol, we're familiar with the word idol because of Guy Sebastian and then every other winner of Australian Idol that we can't remember the name of. We we know what an idol is. It's something that you're supposed to hold up and, and worship and we have various idols in our world. When I think about it biblically, my mind immediately goes to the golden calf in the wilderness where uh, they were in the desert and, and, and actually they started out in Egypt and for 400 years they were enslaved by Pharaoh of Egypt, the Israelites were. And miraculously they were brought out of Egypt and brought through the Red Sea and then all of the pursuing armies, the, the sea crashed back in on them. It was a miracle. It was incredible. And then they come out and God provides for them both meat and bread and, and water in the middle of the desert. And then he's setting them up to become a new nation and, and so he takes Moses, who's both the spokesperson for God and for the people, and takes him up onto the mountain to outline to him what this new nation will look like. And the people of Israel down the bottom cry out to Aaron and they say, we need a God like all the other nations have one. In fact, where is Moses even going? We, we don't even know where he's been. He's been gone a long time. Where is he? Can you please provide us with a God that we can worship? And as I've read this story time and time again, Originally, I was like, you crazy Israelites, what is wrong with you lunatics? Look at everything that God has done to this point. How can you forget him so quickly? But then I go back and think about the 400 years of enslavement. And I think about the fact that they're in a day and age where where whoever's God was the most powerful, they're the ones who won the wars. So if you're enslaved for 400 years, you think that your God is either impotent or he has abandoned you. And so as they're at the foot of the mountain waiting for Moses to come back and he's taking longer than they expected, perhaps a few of those abandonment issues creep back in and they think to themselves, well, well, if we're going to be left without a God out here, how are we supposed to survive? And in Exodus 32, it outlines a story where Aaron says to them, give me all your earrings. And he puts them into the fire, melts them down, fashions a golden calf for them. And then he pulls it back out and says to them, here is the God that brought you out of Egypt and the Israelites begin to worship him. It's a crazy notion, it's a crazy thought, but they're so easily caught up in it because an image is easy to idolize. It also makes me think about Abraham, and it's not in scripture, it's in rabbinical tradition, it's in the Midrash, which is a Jewish commentary on Israel's scriptures, but it talks about the fact that when um, when Abraham was in his father's workshop, Terah was the, his father's name, and Terah made idols, they say, uh, in, in rabbinical tradition. And, and so 
Abraham goes in and destroys all the idols and puts a little hammer in one idol that he doesn't destroy. And his dad comes back in, this is his business, this is his livelihood. And he says, what has happened in here? And Abraham said, I don't, I don't know, but it's obvious to me, that little guy has slaughtered all the other gods that were in here. And Terah says, don't be ridiculous, they're just statues, Abram, they're not real. Exactly, Terah, they're not real. And I wonder about what we set up as real and what we say, this seems more attractive than what I have right now. A golden calf, Abram's father's idol's Instagram. Daz and I were at the beach with some friends a number of years ago and and the family were on their last legs as a cohesive unit. And it was a devastating day. We were down at the beach and the dad was obviously checking out other chicks on the beach and, and the kids were little and they didn't want to be there. They wanted to go home. And the mum was just really wanting to hold on to what she thought was family. And, and so while we're awkwardly kind of, there'd been fights during the morning and, and Daz and I were in that awkward onlooker place and trying to give our kids a good time. And we're down there and we're just like, this is awkward. And uh, so we ended up going and said, oh, look, you know, made an excuse and left. And what showed up on our Instagram feed was the two kids who we knew were crying in the beach shelter and the dad who'd thrown himself on, in a tantrum onto the beach towel in front of the shelter. And, and the photo was taken and it looked like he was sunbaking and the two kids were playing in the sand. And it said, love beach days with the family, hashtag blessed. Now, there's no judgment there. That's a person trying desperately to hold on to something that they wanted to be real and that they couldn't face the reality of what was. And every time we idolise the image, it's what we do. But we'll never be able to deal with what is while we keep the idolised image ticking along in the background. So what happens, every time there's idols in the Bible, it's the same solution. God says you've got to tear them down. So by way of deconstructing those idols tonight, I wonder if we can ask a few questions and get super real here. But before we do, has anyone seen that thing on Instagram that says, how are all y'all married people doing? How's isolation treating you? Haven't seen any, he's my everything lately. Hashtag married life, blessed life. That is probably my favorite. So let's continue to deconstruct the idols tonight. I owe this point to Andy Stanley who preached it at Hillsong 10 years ago and I haven't heard it since but it stayed with me so vitally because it meant so much. When you go to the book of James and I encourage you in isolation to read through the book of James. It's a fantastic book. It's, it's so practical and it's a letter written in the New Testament and, and every passage you will find something that you can take away and live. Even though they're written to specific situations with specific applications, the timeless principles apply to us all and they're just um, obvious and, and able to be applied immediately. So James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. James chapter 4 and verse 1, I think it's going to come up on the screen for you. I'm going to read it off my phone tonight. It says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? And you might say, no, Bron, no, 
no, definitely not. It's just that I've got a rebellious teenager or it's just that I've got a rambunctious toddler or it's just that I've got a, a spouse that's never compliant or it's just that my mum is bossy. That's the problem. But I want you to think about every argument that you've ever had and, and who is the common denominator to each of them. It's you and for me, it's me. And the answer, the Bible says, is simple. But first we'll go to the marriage Message paraphrase, message paraphrase. It says, do you think they just happen, the fights and quarrels? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. Now again, James is writing to a specific group of people with a specific issue, but this principle is timeless. It is so true that we fight and quarrel because something is going on deep inside of us. And if you're sitting on the lounge and someone's kicking you right now and going, see, I told you, it's your problem. Then everyone, self-focus. Look in on yourself, not the other person. James chapter four, verse two, the first part says, you want something, but you don't get it. You want something, but you don't get it. We're not getting what we want. And that's the problem. We're not getting what we want. And so I want to ask you the question tonight, do you even know what you want? Do you know what you want? Have you ever sat down and clearly articulated it, what it is that you're missing out on, what you're not getting, what it is that you want? This is a great exercise, whether to process verbally or to do it internally or externally. And it's a way that I pray through Philippians 4, 6 all the time when I feel myself anxious or cranky or, or not really knowing what's going on inside me. I work through Philippians 4, 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. So I begin to give thanks to God. I just begin to, to thank him for things and I feel my emotions begin to calm down. It says, make your requests known to God. So I have to clearly articulate what it is I want, which forces me to ask the question, what is it that I'm not getting in this situation? It is a, a disciplined exercise to figure out what it is that I'm struggling with. Rather than just presenting myself as a hot mess to God and saying, fix this, I'm able to work through it and have him work in me as well. It's powerful. And so tonight, and I, hopefully an image is going to come up on the screen with a list for you. Uh, and what would be a fantastic exercise is to write down on one hand, one side, to say, what are all my wants? What are they? And then as you look at that list of wants, that then you can go, well, what of these are actually needs? And then transferring into another column all the needs that you might have. And then, and then asking yourself the question, well, who am I looking at to fill all these needs? Writing down all your wants, figuring out which of them are actually needs, and then with the needs saying, who am I expecting to be the fulfillment of these needs? You might find as you look at that list that, you're actually counting on people who are completely inappropriate to fill some of your needs. And so that needs submitting to God. All of it actually needs submitting to God. The good, the destructive, the neither here nor there, it all submitted to God to saying, God, these are the things that I believe I need and these are the people that I'm looking to. Would you help me with this? And just being flat out honest before God. And with all those needs and with all those wants, I just want you to hold on to them for a moment, just for a couple of weeks. Just parking lot them for a moment. Because 
just right now I'm going to pose the question. We're going to move through it and finish up in a moment. But, but we're going to talk about it more next week. The question, next question is, do you know what they need? The people in your life, the people around you, do you actually know what they are needing? It's fine to figure out all your own wants, but do you, have you actually ever thought about what they might need? When I was reading at the list of love languages and the needs of the different temperaments, we're going, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's human nature, of course you were. But how many of you were thinking, oh, that's them, that's them, oh, that's where I'm not actually speaking their love language? Do you know what they need? Do you know in this season what is required of you? And again, uh, we're not talking in any way about unsafe situations, but I just want to ask you to parking lot that, the question of what I need for a moment and go counterintuitive to do you know what they need? And we'll spend some more time there next week. And if you think, well, that's boring. I'm not coming back next week. What's on in the morning? I don't want to know what everyone else needs. That's, that's, I need to know what I need. I need to know how to get my needs met. I want to encourage you, make sure you're here next week because this is life-changing. If we can get this, Jesus has put in place this upside-down scenario where we get life by giving our own life away. Well, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I encourage you, you will actually live your best life if you put next week into practice. And finally, there's a great movie as we're looking at our great expectations and whether or not we've idolised the image and how we deconstruct that idol and, and get rid of that image and look at what it is we want and look at um, what it is they need. There's a famous movie called Jerry Maguire and maybe you'll remember this line, you complete me. And I'm sorry if you speak sign language and I did that wrong. I promise I don't know what I said wrong. But in the movie, that's what, in the elevator, you complete me, I think, somehow there. Uh, the, the, the deaf couple are talking and, and it's the romantic line that comes up at the end. I want to say to you tonight, you don't complete me. You don't complete me. And you can't complete me. And if we're looking to someone to complete us, we will end up disappointed. You don't complete me. In fact, we need, we need the person who is, we would say, is foremost in our life to become the number two in our life. And if you would like to, just go ahead and take them by the hand and look in their eyes and say, you are my number two. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. No one else has ever promised you life. Or they shouldn't have if they did, unless it was Jesus. When you stood at the altar looking at each other, if someone promised you life, they were promising something they could never deliver on. They might have promised you an abundance of things and an abundance of provision, and whether you married up or not, you may have gotten those. But they should never have promised you life. And so you should never look to someone else for life, including your children. When your child, was, your newborn, was getting their AGPAS scores in between minute one and minute five, they didn't stand up in the tray and just go, Mum... Dad, I just want to let you know I've come that you might have life and I've come to give it in its fullest. And if you were lying on the bed, you should have said, please define fullest for me. Uh, but, but the fact is that your child didn't do that. Your child didn't promise life. And so we should never expect our life to be lived out in completeness through our children. You don't complete me. Jesus is the only one who has the power and the ability to promise that. And in fact, James goes on in chapter 4 and uh, verse 2. He says, you don't have, you want, he says, you want something, but you don't get it. And then he goes on and says this. 
You aren't getting what you want. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Eugene Peterson, would you please paraphrase that for us? In the message, you wouldn't think of just asking for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to, your spoiled children, each of you wanting your own way. And I think that maybe if you look at your needs and your wants, you'll go, wow, there's a whole lot there about me. And so it should. But we need to go to God for what we want. He's the only one who can give us life. He's the only one who can feel those needs and those desires in us. So I hope that you'll take an inventory of your great expectations this week. I hope that you'll work out what you really want and I hope that you'll begin to examine the question as we head into next week, what is it that they need? And I hope and I pray and I believe that if you've constructed an idol around perfection, that you will begin to understand that you're not perfect and that's okay and that your family's not perfect and that's okay and that that image of perfection that you've constructed would no longer steal the present from you but would in fact be able to be knocked aside, to be cast aside, to be knocked over like the idols were in the Old Testament and you would find life. So tonight, I don't want to head over to continue the conversation in my trackies before asking you the question, have you received life from Jesus? Have you actually ever looked to Him for life rather than looking to the next best thing that was coming on the horizon? And I'm going to pray a prayer this morning, tonight even. Tonight, as you think about that question, I want to ask every single person who believes in God to be praying right now for those in their lounge rooms who are yet to make that decision. I ask you to be praying in this moment for those people. And if that's you tonight, and you're like, yeah, actually, I want to ask Jesus for life. I want to stop trying to find my own life and I want to go His way. Then tonight, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that says, I want to ask you to forgive my sins. I want you to take away my past and my guilt and my shame. And I want a fresh start with you, Jesus. And I'm going your way and not mine any longer. So I'm going to pray it and I invite you to pray it after me. And I'd ask just everyone else to be praying in this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for me. And thank you that he paid the price for my sin. Lord, I know I've done stuff wrong. I know there's a gap between you and I. I feel it. I know that I don't know you like I should. So Lord, I pray that you would take away that gap. Lord, that you would forgive me of everything I've done, that you would remove my guilt and my shame and that I would have a brand new, fresh start with you and that I would follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and say whatever you like uh, just to reiterate that prayer. And um, I encourage you to head over to the website, scroll all the way down to join an e-connect. Don't worry, you're not going to have to join one. And just um, fill in some details and click on I've decided to follow Jesus because we would love to resource you on your journey. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.